From Vistio, this is Recorded for Quality Assurance, an interview series where we talk to the world's leading CX experts about industry trends, CX technology, and simplifying the process of delivering great customer service. Today we have with us Jenny Dempsey, the Consumer Experience Manager for Appeal Sciences and its sister company, Fruitstand.com. With over 16 years of building and leading customer service and experience teams, he is also the co-founder of a customer service blog, CustomerServiceLife.com. Jenny has been recognized as a leader in the CX industry, including the ICMI Top 25 Thought Leaders and the 2019-2020 Cloud Cherry CX Influencer Champion Award. Welcome to the pod, Jenny. Do I have your permission to record this call for quality assurance? <laughs> Absolutely, you do. Hopefully it helps with training purposes. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So Jenny, can you give our readers some insight into your background, where you started and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I started working in customer service uh, when I was in college. I went into my career office at San Diego State. It was actually walking in and there was a a bulletin board on the wall with a little pin and a paper for a part-time customer service job. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. So I need a part-time job. And I applied for it, uh, got hired the same day, even wearing jeans to my interview. So that's like how, like <laughs> where I was at that point. And, um, at that point I never looked back. I stayed in the industry for, gosh, it feels like a really long time now, almost, you know, 16, 17 years. And I've worked my way up from frontline agent to supervisor, manager, director, and kind of everything in between. And it has been quite a fun journey. I love working with customers and teams. Uh, you know, it's just people helping people at the end of the day. And that's really what draws me to it and uh, keeps me going. That's really interesting that you started out as an agent and kept on that career path. Oftentimes we get bounced around a little bit. Just out of curiosity, what was your major in college? My major in college was English and I wanted to just focus on creative writing, but I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew I liked writing and didn't want to take any math classes. So that's where it was at. (laughs) Great. And here you are in customer service still to this day. Yeah. That's great. Can you share a little more about your day-to-day role and responsibilities as the consumer experience manager for Appeal Sciences and also fruitstand.com? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of this like, hybrid role where I'm building the uh, consumer experience for both companies and they are very different. Um, Fruit Stand, for example, is a direct to consumer um, from small farms across the U.S. where they ship out kind of unique specialty produce. And so building up communication channels and managing feedback and creating voice of customer um, programs and getting feedback to different departments um, working with a team to make sure that we are addressing customer complaints. And it's very, you know, very much like we're helping customers address their complaints and problems. And in the background, getting things to where they need to go to make improvements. Um, At Appeal, it's very much working with the consumers who are eating the produce. Appeal is more uh, B2B focused. Um, So working with the rest of the people who might have a question about what is Appeal? um, What is this doing for me? Or managing any type of complaints Um, whether it be on social media or via email, um, you know, kind of navigating that and building the systems to do so, because that wasn't really organized um, in any uh, way prior to me being there. So 
the day-to-day is jumping around from two different brands and um, basically answering a lot of questions about fruit and learning a lot about fruit. (laughs) That's so interesting. So in a previous conversation that you and I had, we talked about how both companies have really different ways that they handle customer expectations and customer experience. Can you talk a little bit about the differences and then what your strategy has been to keep, you know, yourself on track with both appeal and then fruit stand at the same time? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So appeal is very much like there's an entire regulatory legal team. So a lot of the replies that go out need to be passed through there. And that's really just because, you know, intellectual property. And there are certain things that we want to make sure that we're communicating because it's very scientific. um, And we want to make sure we're communicating it in the best way possible for our consumers to understand. So a lot of the things when I'm writing an email or there's an FAQ on the website or something goes out on social, it does need to be passed through the regulatory team. Um, At Fruitstand, because it is really more of like we're solving customer problems or we're answering questions about a really weird piece of fruit that comes from a farm, we can get the answers from the farm and we can give it to the customer just through an email. It doesn't necessarily need to be approved as long as we know it's correct. Um, But being kind of someone who's in a role where I'm on the front lines, but I'm also managing the team and I'm also building the experience. So I'm basically like, uh, you know, agent, manager, and director in one and jumping around from brand to brand with basically wearing three different hats can be a little challenging sometimes. Um, sometimes I sit back, I'm like, wow, what, what am I doing? <laughs> but it's also an adventure where every day there's something new to learn and something new to try and a new way to say something to someone to help them understand or to solve their, uh, to solve their problem. It's really interesting. So just out of curiosity as well, do you have a physical knowledge base, like binders or things like that? Or do you have a resource, like a searchable resource that is um, in the cloud or something like that? Where is all that knowledge held so it can be accessed by your team? Yeah, that is a great question. So the knowledge part, um, we have either a Google Doc that's shared in the cloud um, and that's continuously updated and managed because that's an important part of it. Um, When we make changes to things, we want to make sure it's staying updated. Um, Fruit Stand, for example, has an internal and external customer facing knowledge base. So we either have it for our internal customers, our team, or we have it for our actual people who are on, you know, ordering the product um, that can go to it and search from our website. So there's kind of different management pieces that are going on. And for Fruit Stand, because the, um, the knowledge base is built through our kind of ticketing platform, um, I've kind of, you know, for management wise, I always love to kind of empower agents. So the customer service agent who helps with frontline support at Fruitstand, he's also in the weeds with making sure that stays updated. So he's really getting in there. There's one team member. And so he basically can dig in there and keep that updated. And that gives him, you know, responsibility and additional, um, you know, knowledge around like, here's where this isn't correct. We need this. And sometimes he'll pass it to me. We need to update this, you know, phrase or whatever. How are we going to do it? So I like kind of delegating those types of tasks as well to make sure that things stay updated. Um, Cause that's, that's the hardest part with the knowledge management, right? Like we could write it all day, whether it's on the Google doc that's shared in the cloud or whatever, but someone needs to make sure it stays updated <laughs> or it gets yeah. dusty. <laughs> I, you seem to wear so many different hats. It's mind boggling. I <laughs> can't even imagine 
um, how you're carving out time to talk to us today, but I really appreciate it. Uh, So like you were just saying, um, you're currently in the, well, I don't know if you you didn't actually touch on this, but I'm going to let our listeners know you are currently in the process of building a customer service department from scratch for two different organizations. You are also in the unique position of being a manager of a small customer service team, but also you yourself are an active agent that is helping individuals with customer service. Um, What have you found to be the biggest challenges of building a customer service department for an organization that didn't previously have one? So there's a lot of challenges. And I think some of them are, you know, company-wide and some of them are maybe even just knowledge in myself. So I'll kind of touch on both of those. But, you know, sometimes when we're introducing something new or anything, change can be challenging for anyone. And so um, for some parts of the organization, it might not um, be seen as necessarily a high priority. And so Uh, which is fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It might just not be the right time. Um, But sometimes that can be challenging. Um, You know, there's always budget constraints. There's always um, platform, you know, service tools that we decide to use. Um, And then there's always, you know, change management going kind of looping back to that, not necessarily knowledge-based related, but um, you know, if there's a change to the website and it's not communicated back to the customer service team or, or to me in this case, um, you know, and I don't know it, then I'm, I can't communicate properly with customers. So kind of building these communication channels where they never existed before. And I've seen so much, um, benefit from doing that. Like there are so many team members that are like really open and like this hadn't been here. I didn't know where to tell, to tell these, you know, updates. So now I have a, a path for that. Um, and so while it can be a little bit of a, of some growing pains, which is normal and natural, it can definitely be, um, a beautiful thing to see it kind of like come to life. Um, but also like kind of on, on my part, you know, there might be times where there's something that needs to be built that I've never done. And so I really lean on, you know, the customer service community, which, you know, you mentioned how I even have time to do this. Part of the reason why I love taking time is because I know I'm always looking for podcasts and articles to see what someone else has done in their career. Cause that helps me in those moments where I have no idea what's going on. And so, um, you know, it really is just like about learning and trying things. Sometimes I'm like, I'm just going to press that button and see what happens. And, or I'm going to send this email and say it this way. And hopefully that that works out well. Um, and it's really just about trying. So no matter across the board, whether you're working with internal customers and, you know, other people on your team or the external customers, um, just trying things and seeing what happens. And sometimes it's just crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. (laughs) Well, you've been working in the industry for so long and have learned so much. And I'm sure that that past experience comes in handy so much. And it's kind of this great opportunity to, you've seen what's worked and what hasn't worked. um, And now you get to apply all that and create almost the, you know, this perfect team in your mind because you're starting from scratch. So that's a really cool um, opportunity. It feels like that you have. Thanks. It's fun. It's definitely fun. That's great. I love that you say that it's fun. I think, um, (laughs) you know, a lot of people that we talk to in this industry, it's say that, that it's fun and it's interesting and it's ever changing. And it's um, especially now we've had this big shift in the world that, you know, we're, we've really, every day is a new different challenge in customer service. And 
especially with the increased expectation from um, customers, but also the needs. So it's exciting. Uh, that brings me to my next question. What do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions about specifically contact center agents? Mm. Biggest misconceptions, I think, a lot of the times is that they're just there for a paycheck. And I think that's, well, that's one of them. I think the other one is that they're lazy or they may just like not really care about the other person on the other line. So those three things. So, you know, sometimes like myself, for example, I started out doing that. And I, at first, yeah, I was there for a paycheck because it's a part-time job in college. But then I realized this is actually a really great role. And there's a lot of things to learn and a lot of opportunity for growth. And so I was lucky at that time to be at a company that gave me those opportunities. But um, I think for contact center agents now, like that, because the demand for a good or exceptional customer experience is so high that a customer service agent is more than just a person answering the phone, reading a script. They're there to actually help get someone to the next step, you know, and when that's done right, that can make a huge impact on someone's day. And so um, and people go into the role, not necessarily wanting, you know, of course they want to be paid their paycheck, but they're there to like, there's a purpose behind this. They're not just doing this to be like, thanks for calling, uh, you know, this and that type thing. They want to actually make a difference. Um, and then the lazy thing, I say that just because there's always those, you know, memes or, you know, other things out there where, oh, there's someone working at a contact center in a cubicle, drinking soda all day and, you know, eating snacks. And it's like, have they ever been in an office or now a home office at this point? Like a lot of the times um, the flexibility that's built in for contact center agents is to like get out, go do things. And it's not, it's just the stereotype kind of drives me nuts because people are like, Oh, you just do customer service. So you sit there all day and you're like, I'm like, well, no, like it's a little different. Um, and so kind of breaking down that stereotype um, and then uh, yeah, just making sure, Actually, I forgot the third point that I mentioned, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I think those are kind of the biggest things that come through. Oh, um, the people don't care. I think that when we're working with people and you're in a role for a contact center agent, like you're a person who's going to care because the people who don't care aren't going to last. They're not going to want to do that job. And that's cool. If they don't care. It's fine. There's something else for them. But like uh, people and people helping roles um, are going to be the, the people that care in a previous conversation, and we touch a lot about this on the podcast, that there's this misconception, like you said, that they're just there for a paycheck, but there are a lot of expectations mm -hmm. from a contact center agent and they have a lot on their shoulders yeah. and they're usually the only human touch point mm -hmm. that, that they, that a customer has with the organization. And so really there's a lot there's a lot on them. There's a lot of pressure on them. And so treat those agents nice mm -hmm. and know that they're not just individuals sitting in a chair reading off, you know, from a script, the answers that are, that they have from customers. It's a much more complex job than I think most people realize. Totally, totally. And then the limitations that are put on them sometimes certain companies like yeah, they may sound like they're reading a script, but they actually, they can't do anything else. They're not given tools or resources to be able to. And so kind of acknowledging that, like, it's not that person's fault sometimes. I mean, sometimes maybe, but not all the time. <laughs> yeah, that they're not the punching bag. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So along those lines, when we talk about, you know, agents are often the individuals that are 
the only contact of the organization. They can sometimes become the punching bag for things that aren't their department's uh, problem or their mistake or whatnot. So what are some of the things that you have seen throughout your time as managing agents most effective for boosting the morale of the customer service agents? I think one of the biggest things is that that I've learned when managing, you know, agents is to really just like, and this is just going to sound so silly, but I just need to shut up and listen. That's really what it comes down to. Like if someone comes to me asking for some advice, a lot of the times I'll just ask them, you know, questions in return to kind of like navigate and then listen. Um, I found that like that type of leadership you know, and then maybe sharing experience if they really want, but, you know, not doing unsolicited advice, not like telling them what to do, but really listening. And then if they have an idea or if something, you know, comes up that they, you know, need assistance with, like seeing it through to the end um, and helping them get what they need, whether that's a tool or resource or, you know, an HR personnel issue or, you know, an ergonomic issue, like maybe they need a better chair, like, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, the listening part is really what I have seen and it sounds so silly and simple to like boost morale, but like, it makes such a big impact because I think there's this, like, it kind of drives me nuts sometimes when like, Oh, let's make sure our company, like everyone in the company or, and the team is so happy. And it's like, that's not real. Like we're not all going to be sitting there smiling and bubbly all every day. It's just like, we're human. Like we're going to have our bad days. So it's like, when we talk about boosting morale, like setting this, this uh, expectation that we need to be happy all the time is, is really silly in my opinion. Um, I think it just needs to be like, there's going to be days where we're not going to be like, you know, smiling and bubbly. They're going to be hard days and there's, that's okay to acknowledge it, but what can we do? And really it comes down to listening or sometimes if they don't want to talk about it, giving them the space that they need to still do their job or to take time off or whatever it is. And I found like those simple things of just allowing them to like, be human and be know that they're part of a team and they're supported and they have the resources and tools that they need to do their job or to take time off makes such a big impact on morale. So I know there's a lot out there like gamification or, you know, free pizza or whatever it is. I'm like, okay, like that's cool. But there's other things like, let's just listen to each other and, and respect each other and like, you know, support one another in a way that uh, is needed to do the job of helping people who are, you know, on the phone or email, probably yelling at you all day. So, yeah. I think that's a great point across all organizations, across every industry, that if you are really listening to the people within your organization, taking their, taking, you know, the insight they have from being on the front lines that they feel trusted, valued. And really that's what we're all looking for, even in life that we just want to be heard. So giving a voice to your agents can mean the world to them. I think um, also you mentioned even, you know, having a little budget to give your agents good chairs because they're sitting for so long. Um, And then even having a structure for their computer to sit at eye level so that they're comfortable can make a world of difference. So I'm so glad you touched on that. Um, We talk a lot about on this podcast, how the customer service department can often get siloed from other departments in the organization. We've kind of touched on this a little bit already. 
So where do you see the disconnect between departments occurring? And how do you think the customer service team is viewed by most organizations as a whole? Well, I think one of the hardest things that I have found is that and kind of going back to like change management, for example, you know, if, if, uh, you know, let's say an engineering team makes a change to the software that customers use, and it's not communicated to the customer service team, and then the customer service team is on the front lines answering questions about it, and they answer incorrectly, but they just didn't know it didn't change, that can cause frustration for the customer, that'll cause frustration for the agent and the manager as well, who then has to go, you know, deliver the news to the engineering manager, and then, you know, it can, it's just a whole mess. And so I think when it comes to, you know, collaborating or working with other departments, sometimes customer service, because they are kind of sometimes in the shadows or, you know, no one really remember, no one really remembers that they are there on the front lines. They are that first point of contact. And sometimes people just, it's not that they're, they mean this intentionally, this don't care because they just, they don't work with them. So why would they even bother? Um, so that's one of the biggest things that I, I see happen that causes so much frustration for, for the, the teams. And, and then it comes down to the fact that like, sometimes customer service teams can be seen. And I'm going to say this in like very casual way, but like, as the pooper scoopers, like, you know, like when these changes happen, for example, you know, something, you know, breaks in the control panel, there's a bug. And let's say the the communication is going the opposite way from customer service, finding the bug up to the engineering department um, to make a change or to make a correction. Um, you know, and it kind of gets looked at as like, well, that's not priority right now, but they're like, but I have a hundred callers in the queue and, and we, we need this fixed. So then there's, you know, the frustration there around how do we, you know, listen better kind of going back to that, to those on the front lines and understand, you know, what is priority? How do we determine what's priority and how do we determine what's priority from a kind of like human center centric standpoint, as opposed to just like financial, which I'm not a business owner. So maybe, you know, I'm not speaking the language of everyone on here, but um, you know, we sometimes have to make decisions based on like, how is it going to help the people as opposed to like, I don't know, the money stuff sometimes as far as customer service goes. But, um, I think that's just kind of like some of the biggest challenges of being in customer service, whether you're communicating it to other departments or they're not communicating it or communicating it incorrectly or inefficiently back to customer service. You can run into a lot of speed bumps. So a follow-up question on that is you Mm -hmm. talked about communicating efficiently. So what are some of the strategies or tools that you've seen work as far as making sure the customer service team doesn't get siloed, that information does flow properly in between the different, um, the different departments in an organization? What I've seen work really well is just, you know, when we're working with, you know, other teams, we have to understand what their priorities are. And I kind of like call this speaking their language. And so, you know, what matters to the engineering team may not be what matters to marketing or product development or, you know, all the different teams out there. So what I've found successful is, you know, going to meet with the heads of those departments or the people who are, you know, doing the actual work in those departments and understanding what matters to you and how do you want these things communicated to you and kind of setting it up based on that. And so sometimes the process may look different for communication, like how we communicate it to engineering might be very different than how we communicate it to marketing, but having that all mapped out, having a process set, having individuals, you know, responsible for you're the, if this happens, then this is the flow that you'll, you know, take to, 
to contact someone and having that very mapped out um, with obviously with some flexibility, someone's not there, but once you kind of like navigate what matters to them, you can fill in the gaps of what matters to you and you all just kind of compromise and everyone, you know, it just, you just make it work at that point. I think that's so interesting because we talk a lot about right now, we've just talked a lot about how you are taking in feedback and understanding. Now you're talking about understanding about how different departments, knowing their language, knowing how they like to mm-hmm. interact can make things so much smoother. So such an interesting concept. Yeah. And um, it goes back to listening, you know, want to like listen to the other teams too. Like they, they have just as much of a say in this as well, understanding what their perspective. That's such a good point. So we'll switch gears a little bit and talk more about the technology that we are giving our agents, those tools that we're giving them. So regarding contact center technology, what are some of the greatest frustrations you see agents having again and again? Hmm. The biggest frustrations that I've seen are mostly it's like knowledge that's not updated um, and they have access and that's all they have access to, to finding things. Um, resources are not, that are not even built yet. Um, they may need a tool and maybe they're just not telling anyone about it. Um, and they're kind of, it, then they struggle when responding to customers. Um, I think those two are kind of the biggest things, but the other thing is like, if something breaks, um, not having the proper communication channels to tell someone or not thinking, you know, Oh, if it only happens to one person. It's kind of like when you see only one ant in your kitchen, you're like, Ooh, I know there's going to be more. Um, you know, if one thing breaks and one customer calls, like to make a note of that and to pay attention, like, is this happening again? Um, is this a bigger problem? And being able to know what to do when those bigger problems come up. Um, those are really kind of the, the biggest things that I see is the frustration, those kind of like three areas, this, cause they, they all lead into other interactions with customers or team members on their own personal knowledge. And that can get really frustrating when you don't have the tools and resources you need to just do your job. Right. And it's so interesting. You talked about process because it is process is the foundation mm-hmm. having set processes of how customer interaction should be handled, but also set process of how new knowledge is being communicated to the agents and that those agents have those answers at their fingertips. When for instance, things happen on the appeal side when these, you know, cause it's such, there's a lot of, you know, law and regulation around it. So making sure that everyone's up to date when those changes occur with the reg- regulations or the legislation. So I think that's a really good point. Uh, that brings me to my next question is in your opinion, what are the, some of the best ways to decipher what technology tools contact center agents should be utilizing? And then the second part of that question is, what is your process for making those decisions or who is making those decisions in your current organization? Hmm, that's such a good question. Okay. So I think a lot of the times, if you already have a team that's there using a tool, like kind of just like doing interviews and be like, what do you like best about this? Just like we would do for our customers, like survey them, ask them what's up, like, what do they like? What do they hate? Like, 
what do they want to change? What would they like if it was, you know, blue sky picture, like what would they want to have on this tool? And then kind of, you know, navigating from there to find something that like fits what everyone needs, which is a tough job, but <laughs> it's possible. Um, and then, you know, if that, if you don't have a team, um, in, in my case, for example, when I started with, with fruit stand, there was no team. So kind of evaluating for communication channels, I was like, well, I don't know what we need yet. So sometimes it's just a matter of starting with something and then trying to make it work along the way. And then if it does, cool. If not, then you can always change. Um, in those early stages, sometimes it's a lot easier to make the change than when you then get a team and then like everyone gets used to something and then you have to make a bigger change that can get a little more complicated. Um, but, you know, when the, the other biggest thing is like, budget and getting the buy-in from other, you know, from, from stakeholders, you know, if you want to bring in this platform and it costs thousands of dollars, you've got to make a big case for that. And rightfully so, like you should be sharing why this is going to help. And if you have kind of the backbone um, from your team and let's say those survey results, for example, or if you did interviews with them, like if you have the facts about how this is going to help and, you know, you really look into like, what are the biggest kind of pain points that you want to address? What are the goals um, and how this tool will help with that and solve those problems, then you're more likely to get that buy-in. So sometimes it can take a lot of work to put that together, to get the buy-in um, from those. And sometimes you'll still get a no. Um, and it's a matter of like, well, have a plan, have a backup, like, and um, make sure that you're still addressing it from the same way. Um, but it can be tough but it can, it's totally possible. You just got to put a little work into it. So I'm going to throw you a little curveball in, okay. <laughs> in your, yeah. So say you were given an unlimited budget for technology tools that were specifically going to help your agent. Mm -hmm. Can you think of say like three, three, not, and you don't have to name specific, okay. uh, specific companies, but what are the three must-haves um, for technology tools to aid in agent mm. success? Mm. Well, I think um, the first one uh, is really going to be a very robust knowledge base, um, but I love a knowledge base that can be doubled for training purposes. So I love a knowledge base that can be used for internal use so the agents only see, but the same tool is used for the customers, but they can only see certain ones. And then you can also build in interactive training things. So everything basically of knowledge lives in one place. Like that would be my dream. Like kind of right now it's like two different, two or three different things and that can get frustrating hopping around. So that would be my first one, knowledge management, living in the same place for the agents and for customers. Um, the second one would be having the ability to kind of like make it easier to tag inbound. So the I love to tag ticket types, for example. Um, and I really love to know what a ticket is about. And sometimes like right now we do that manually. Um, and of course there are certain ways to do it um, automatically, but in, it can be limited. And so having a more robust tool to do automatic ticket tagging of types that would actually help us because it tells the story. I want to look at the end of the month and like how, or the end of the week and like how many of these types of tickets came through. What does that tell us about what we're going to do next week? Um, I need those metrics. And so having that type of thing is really important and doing it in a better, more efficient way would be amazing. And then I think the third one 
would just be an easier way to research um, customer history. So, you know, if a customer, some we, we use text, social media, and we use email. So if a customer sends us a message on social media, it's not necessarily going to be connected to them on if they write in through um, email or if they text us. So having the ability to kind of like have it under one umbrella, because if they write in now, we can it would be nice to be able to go back without having to like do some crazy big search, like just shows in a side panel. Here's when this customer contacted you five years ago, you know, and just being able to like read through, know their history, ask them about their dog, or I don't know, things like that. And, um, and just having an easy way. Cause I think sometimes that's forgotten. Like I love it when I call a company and they're like, Oh, I see, you know, how, how are your cats today? Like, like, Oh, what? Like they have some note in there. And I love that. Or, but otherwise, you know, if it's a company that you go to all the time and you're like, you know, I, I know this place and they are like, what's your name again? You know, it kind of feels like, oh, like, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, I'll just get on with my day. But like, it's just uh, just having an easier way to uh, connect with customers by knowing their past um, you know, communications with you on um, different channels as well. Yeah, this has been something we've talked about a lot on this podcast, too, is that exactly what you're saying, that if even if even on one specific interaction, so say they've come through chat. And now they've come to an agent finally, and the agent go at, and go at, goes ahead and asks them all the same questions that they've just answered, yeah. and they don't have a clear transparency into what their customer journey has been, even just with that interaction, that mm-hmm. that can really hinder you know, all of your CSAT scores and your quality scores and things like that. And so having that transparency is so important. So I'm so glad you, you touched on that. Mm-hmm. So you circling back, you had mentioned this um, just a few moments ago. What are the strategies or tactics that you find most effective for getting stakeholder buy-in when you find a technology you think is useful for your agents? You've touched on this with saying, you know, surveys from the agents can really help. Um, but can you can you tell us a couple more that you think are effective? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to, you know, speaking the language. I want to make sure that I'm understanding the values and goals of the stakeholders before I just go to them and say, we want this, Um, you know, because the best way to get the buy-in is usually to have it correspond with some type of company goal or the mission or something else that's aligned with company values and being able to connect a tool that you want to purchase with those types of things is going to be more likely to get you the buy-in from stakeholders. I think just showing how it can add value, um, that it can solve problems uh, more efficiently, that that it'll be basically worth the money. Um, I think, uh, and also, you know, when we factor in like money, we also factor in like, you know, the energy and time of the agents, um, you know, on the front lines and, and the customer experience as a whole. So kind of promote or, I guess, like uh, projecting it in a way where it's showing all of these things that matter to the customer service team, but that also matters to the stakeholders. And a lot of the times it just comes down to making sure you're showing the numbers, the facts, you know, metrics, past metrics, what you expect the metrics to be when you do get this and so on. And really just speaking that language of what matters to them. Um, seems to it's it seems to get the point across sometimes you'll get a yes sometimes you get a no but you're at least doing it from the angle of like everyone's involved here that's that's really great advice um we're gonna switch modes as we wrap up here and it's um what i always find to be the fun questions uh 
maybe not everyone agrees, but I think they're fun. <laughs> so Jenny, what resources, podcasts, publications, blogs, uh, groups on LinkedIn, stuff like that, do you regularly reference to stay on top of industry trends, news, changes, things like that? Okay. So references, I am in CX Accelerator. It's an online Slack community of customer experience professionals around the world. Um, I am a huge fan of that. It's so easy to just pop in there and be like, you know, connect with someone or ask a question. Um, that community is wonderful. Support driven is another global community that uh, is on Slack as well that I am a part of. And I just, it's just amazing. And you just feel like talk about feeling heard. You go in there and you feel very heard. You're like, I got this struggle. Oh yeah, I feel you. I've gone through that. Like, and you could kind of talk to people. Those two communities are really where I go. Um, a lot of the times there's um, different things on Twitter that I will follow different hashtags. For example, Jeremy Watkin has a CX question of the day where I love watching him post these with different questions of anything CX or customer service related. And everyone kind of chimes in with answers and it makes you think it makes you see how different people do it at different companies. Um, so I really love participating in that type of thing. Otherwise, just reading just different blogs out there. Um, Jeff Toyster has a great blog and a weekly customer service tip, which is pretty exciting to get in your inbox every day. You don't have to do anything. So there's so many great resources out there. That's a good one. You named a couple that we're really big fans of and that have actually even been on the podcast. Nate Brown, we love Nate. Mm -hmm. And um, Jeremy Watkins, that, that question of the day we go and look at as well. Such a good one. Awesome. So we met, I just mentioned a couple, but what, uh, who are a few of the standout leaders in our industry that you follow, look to for advice, or um, you are currently collaborating with, or you would like to collaborate with? Mm, okay. Well, the first one would definitely be Jeremy Watkin. He and I actually worked together for a decade. So we're really good friends. We've known each other for a very long time. And I really look up to him for customer service and experience advice. Um, Nate Brown, obviously, like he's just such a bundle of energy and knowledge and wisdom and just does it from such with, with such heart. Um, Leslie Oflehaven is another one of my favorites. Like anytime I need to figure out how to write something in an efficient way to a customer or say something differently, like Leslie has tons of resources on her website that help with that. And she's just also a delight of a human. Like I just love her. Um, Jeff Toyster is another great resource and, um, Shep Hyken. Uh, oh my gosh. There's just like so many different individuals out there. I could probably sit here all day and name, but those are probably the top. Those are great ones. So my final question, uh, Jenny, what career or practical advice do you have for people looking to grow their skills and impact the technology used in contact center management? Whew. All right. The advice that I have is remember, I guess for me, I have to sit back and, under, and remember why I'm doing this. And so, you know, in my line of work, customer services and experience is really just people helping people. So when I stay true to that value for myself, I'm able to kind of get through those rough days with customers screaming at you and, uh, you know, get through the challenges and then roadblocks that you, that, that I may face. And so I really encourage everyone to kind of think about why they're doing what they're doing on the day to day. And, uh, stick with that, maybe post it on a little note on your computer and just, 
um, you know, cause that will make a big impact on everything you do at work, um, with the technologies you choose and why you're choosing them, how you interact with your team, how you respond to a customer, how you do a presentation, like, you know, it, remembering why you're doing what you're doing, um, is something that really helps me. Um, and I hope that that is advice that can help someone else. <laughs> That's great. I think focusing on the human aspect of things sometimes, especially now when a lot of us are working at home, maybe we're not used to working at home. So we feel a bit of a disconnect to always remember to try to focus on reaching out and checking up on people. um, And also keeping the humans in mind also when you're choosing technologies. Uh, Jenny, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much for being with us. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? No, Haley, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Great. Well, it was great having you and we will talk soon. Awesome. This has been recorded for Quality Assurance. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And to learn more about Fistio, visit fistio.io.